Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than up-and-coming Somerset seam sensation, Sonny Baker. So, Sonny, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? <laughs> it's a hell of an intro, that. Um, yeah, it's been good, thank you. Uh, got back fairly late last night. I've been doing some work with uh, Shabazz at Pace Journal. Uh, we're doing some speed camp uh, coaching. Um, really enjoyed it and, yeah, just had a bit of a lie-in this morning after after getting back late, but it's been good so far, thank you. Excellent, that's what we like to hear, mate. And you mentioned the speed camp and Mr Chowdhury. We'll probably talk about Shabazz, to be honest, as the podcast progresses because you've done a lot of work with Pace Journal and, yeah, I have no doubt we'll probably delve into the art form of fast bowling as we get into today's episode. But just to give the listeners who may be new to the County Cricket Podcast a bit of an overview as to what you can expect from today's episode, basically I'm going to be talking to Sonny all about his cricketing journey. So we'll probably start with his early cricketing memories, then a large chunk of today's podcast will revolve around the likes of Devon and Somerset County Cricket Club, and then we'll end with a little discussion about the future. But Sonny, before we get into all of that good stuff then, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of the Sonny Baker cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's a, a fairly early start in that I'd watch cricket quite a lot. My dad played club cricket and one of the most aggressive club cricketers you've ever met in your life. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so he's very competitive. Uh, so I was introduced to cricket fairly early, but I didn't really start playing until I was 11. Um, I was no good at football, tried to give that a go. We had two teams, tried out for the A's and the B's outfield, no chance. Then uh, ended up giving it a go in goal. My dad was also a goalkeeper. Uh, and I think it's fair to say I'd have been probably in the D team. I don't think I'd have even made the T's if we'd have had three sides, <laughs> if we'd have four sides. Um, but yeah, then started cricket thereafter. Um, I wasn't really the most popular kid at primary school, so it was quite uh, it was more of a confidence builder for me. Um, so my dad, when for a bit of background, when I was a bit younger, got me into karate because he was thinking this kid has just got no coordination at all. We've got to get him into some sort of sport or team activity. Um, so started doing karate. Uh, and then, yeah, then started cricket in, like I said, year four, five, uh, about 10, 11. And then, yeah, that was a really, really big confidence builder for me. So it was more than just cricket as a sport. It, it was like helping me make friends and stuff, which was, which was a big deal for me at the time. Um, and then progressed through, ended up doing a bit of county age group stuff. Uh, um, I think it was under 13s. Yeah, I think it was under 13s where I first started doing uh, county age group stuff, then progressed through Devon age groups, um, got involved at 15 with the Somerset PSPP, which was like, a, uh, it's, it's very much changed now, but it was basically a, you're not quite good enough for the academy program <laughs> um, because you're not from Somerset, so we can't put you on our EPP, which is obviously for the younger players developing, looking to get an academy place and not quite at the level where we can sign you onto the academy and, and you know, secure you as a Somerset player. It's a different structure now, but that's what it was. 
So I was on that for a, a couple of a couple of three years, and then uh, that program was disbanded. So because Devon started their own academy and Somerset uh, stopped doing their PSPP, so they only had an EPP and a, an academy at the time. I sort of fell down the middle in the gap because uh, Devon was fairly sure I was with Somerset and Somerset was like, well, we don't have that program anymore. So you're definitely with Devon. Um, so, yeah, that was when I was about 17. So I was also had a stress fracture in my back at the time. Uh, so I was fairly convinced that I was going to be a biology teacher at 17. Uh, and then, yeah, it was an England under 19s trial. Someone from the north pulled out injured very, very last minute. Um, I was then pulled in uh, as the most southern player there was playing for the north side. <laughs> Bowled first change on the first day and then opened in the in the second day. Got a good got a good opportunity there. Really enjoyed spending time with some of the north guys. They were brilliant. Um, and then was put on the academy thereafter. And nine months after that, I'd been top wicket taker in the Royal London and was currently at Trent Rockets thereafter. So it was a quite a quick journey to that point. Then last year uh, was injured going out to the World Cup with the under-19s, which was very frustrating. I had a stress response in my back after the season. I felt absolutely fine, no pain at all. It was just a routine scan before we went out to Sri Lanka as um, preparation for the World Cup. Then bowled okay in the... In the uh, training sessions we had beforehand I was a little bit sore but thought oh it's just a bit of stiffness I've only bowled indoors coming outdoors for the first time and then in the first over of the first warm-up game I uh just bought I bowled six balls and said to the physio I'm absolutely nowhere here I need to come off I'm in real pain um and then four days after that I was on a flight home by myself so that was a fairly tough experience then rehabbed throughout the summer which was obviously uh, as uh, anybody who's been injured knows a very difficult thing to do uh seeing everyone else playing games and and just rehabbing to potentially play at the end of the year is diff is really tough um so got involved then in the royal london competition after that my first game back uh we were bowled out for 120 for those who don't know the royal london's a 50 over competition so that was quite a <laughs> quite a, an event then went out to bowl they were uh, probably nearly 100 for none they were 80 for none off must have been nine overs uh and my first two uh professional competitive overs after being injured uh i actually didn't finish my second over because they won the game uh went for 38 so that was that was a serious serious welcome back from knots uh yeah, there's a couple of guys there that played absolute blinders and we were just fairly shell-shocked to the start the competition that way. Um, but then everything was all right because I came back the next week, played against Durham and, and got six. So it's funny how things work, isn't it? Uh, and then, yeah, when then after that was doing 12th man uh, for the Royal London, the, the way I, my return to bowling programme worked in that competition was I'd play a game, rest a game, play a game, rest a game. Um, so I was resting for that game at Surrey uh, and then got a call from my agent and said, Southern Brave need injury replacement for Tamar Mills. Are you available? And I just said, uh, yes, I think I'm available. I think I can make that happen. Uh, and then <laughs> went on my way down to 
to the Aegeus uh, Bowl and, and the hotel next to it, which is a very nice hotel, I might add. Uh, and then got involved with, uh, obviously, Mahela Jai-Wardner as the head coach and all the rest of the superstars in that team. Um, and my first analysis session was on Joss Butler and Phil Salt. I didn't end up playing in that game, but it was, oh my God, I might be playing against Joss Butler first game. Uh, I've must, I've, how many match competitive overs have I bowled at that point? It would have been below 50 competitive match overs at that point, including club cricket beforehand. So I felt fairly undercooked coming into that opportunity. But it was it was fantastic. And then, unfortunately, this year got injured just before the season started started coming round, really. Uh, was really hoping to be involved in the T20 and potentially a couple of championship games as well when, when the seamers get rotated. Um, but yeah, it was two or three weeks before the twos T20 started. I had some serious pain in my back and then... Uh, originally it presented as a hip so I thought it was an SIJ issue which is like a joint between your hip and your back uh, and we just did a couple of exercises working around that um, had some anti-inflammatories and then went for a scan after feeling some further pain well, I was going to say stiffness but it wasn't stiffness it really hurt and then got a scan in London and unfortunately came back as a stress fracture so that was obviously pretty tough news to to take while being all around all the boys um but yeah here we are now like i said it's been a it's been a blessing in disguise really i've got an opportunity to do lots of other things and it's very easy to be negative in the situation that i'm in right now um but that's really not going to be of any value to to anyone especially not me so um might as well get on with doing other stuff you might as well you might as well, Sonny. That's a very good attitude to have when you're injured. And to be honest, we'll probably discuss that as the podcast progresses, because it's always interesting, I think, to learn the perspective of players who are injured and what makes them tick during those injuries, because it is difficult, isn't it? Let's face it, you mentioned it there in that passage. You're watching the rest of your mates play and you're itching to be out there. Unfortunately, you can't, but it's all about learning, isn't it? Even when you're not out on the field, even when you don't have those opportunities to play in the first eleven still learn your craft, hone your skills, get better. And that's the key thing as a professional cricketer. But before we, we discuss further about Somerset, because that will be a big chunk of today's podcast, and we will come back to that six-wicket performance against Durham, because that was absolutely electrifying. I just wanted to go back to the origins again, if we could, Sonny, because you mentioned about playing cricket from a very young age, right? So year four and five, and then coming up through the mm. age systems at Devon and Somerset. But... Were you always a seam bowler? Were you always set on becoming a fast bowler or did you want to become a batter or a keeper or a spinner? Did any of those other disciplines ever enter the mind of Sonny Baker? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was always, I've always wanted to bowl quick. You know, my dad was a, was a quick bowler, especially for club cricket. Or so he tells me anyway. I've not seen any evidence, but so he tells me. Um, and yeah, I've always enjoyed bowling fast. Um, like I said, being a goalkeeper is similar to being a wicketkeeper, I think, in that you have a good performance, people aren't aware of it and don't talk about it and say, oh, well done, unless you take an absolute screamer, um, nobody really knows. <laughs> Whereas as a fast bowler, everybody knows that you're coming on to bowl. And that's, I think, I think it's the most exciting part of cricket for me. You know, people can smack massive sixes and yeah, that's exciting to watch. But, you know. Who's, who are they coming out of the bar to watch? Is it someone on, you know, smacking it on 30? Probably come out as well. But 
I just think ball speed and fast bowling brings such an excitement to the game. Like you said, it is electrifying when someone's on fire. You know, everybody wants to come out and watch Mark Wood recently. Nobody's standing in the bar waiting to buy a drink then. Everybody's come up, probably stood out of their seats as well, watching just the whole atmosphere in the ground changes completely. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's why I've chosen to do it. Fast bowling is what gives me a love for cricket. It's my favourite part. You see, I love that answer because I love talking to passionate cricketers who absolutely love their craft. I mean, I had this profound conversation with Tom Barber, who used to play for Knots and Middlesex. He absolutely loves the art form of, of bowling fast, and it is just something... And bowls thunderbolts as well, just quietly. <laughs> he does bowl thunderbolts. He really yeah. does. And he's tall as well, so he gets extra bounce. So he's a very terrifying prospect. But again, it is the most exciting aspect. You mentioned Mark Wood bowling 96 miles an hour. You go back to 2019, Joffre Archer spell to Steve Smith at Lords. It keeps you Everyone's watching. the action. Exactly. Not a single person is on their phone or looking away from the action. Nope. Every single eyeball is focused on the crickets. And that brings me nicely onto my next question, Sonny, because this is always a question I love to ask fast bowlers. What is your favourite all-time spell of fast bowling in the game of cricket? Because there's so many we can choose from. So, so many. You can think of Donald versus Atherton. I've mentioned that spell, for example. Arch versus Smith. Brett Lee versus Kevin Peterson. I know KP came out on top in that particular spell, but that was just blockbuster critting action. So if you could go back in time and witness one spell of fast bowling in the flesh, which spell would you choose and why? Great question. Um, I think one that I always watch, uh, and, you know, I mean, English, being English, I probably shouldn't say this, but Mitchell Johnson in the Ashes was just phenomenal. Got 40 test wickets at something like 18 or less. Might have even been 12. But that has got to be one of my favourite all time, especially because he's given it a bit of verbals as well. Uh, that's, that's probably my favourite part of it, was um, the competitiveness and just you know guys were terrified openly say i was terrified mitchell johnson that ashes no 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 no. i don't want that no interest especially a bit of a funky action difficult to pick up at you know early mid 90 miles an hour no thanks but on yeah the the atmosphere that must have created and i think um just being around that it's making me smile even thinking about that would be outstanding and a real, real experience. I'd, I'd probably say that one, I think. But there's so many to choose from. But, yeah, I think I think that's probably final answer, Johnson in the Ashes. And we all know which years I'm referring to. Yeah, unfortunately, 2013-14. Yeah, an Ashes series, which we'd like to forget. But thanks to Mitchell Johnson, it's forever imprinted, isn't it? On the minds of England fans across the world, he completely blew us away, didn't yeah. he, to be honest? But yeah, single-handedly. He did. He yeah. did. You know, we can't even gloss over that fact. It was a frightening display from a very, very competent and capable fast bowler. But there is just something mesmerising, isn't there, about fast bowling? And we look back on spells like that. And even all these years ago, that was nearly a decade ago, we still talk about it with smiles on our faces. We look back on them fondly because it, it makes you love the game. They're the moments which really stoke the fire inside of your cricket love. And just talking of the art form itself, Sonny, this is always a lovely question. And again, I had some great conversations on this podcast about this, but what is it about fast bowling 
that excites you the most? Why do you love bowling fast? What is it about the art form that brings Sonny Baker back time and time and time again? Another great question. I think um, the way I always look at it is this. You know, you bowl one ball at 80 miles an hour, and if you can reproduce the exact same ball at 85, it's a lot more difficult to play. And, you know, I know who I'd rather face out of someone who bowls 79 miles an hour when might make you look like an absolute clown, but someone or someone who's bowling late 80s, touching 90 miles an hour, who might do you some serious harm. I mean, I know who I'm choosing. I'm not an opening batter by any stretch, but I'm pretty sure I know who I'd pick. So I think full speed for me just makes it exciting. Like like you said, it's called fast bowling, isn't it? You know, you didn't say seam bowling, you didn't say swing bowling, you said fast bowling because it just brings a different dimension to the game. You know, one a batter gets hit in the head once, the game changes completely. And... Yeah, I just think having having ball speed has got to be my favourite part about it. I mean, craft is also incredibly valuable. Like I've said, there's guys who can bowl at, you know, sometimes it's below 70 miles an hour and be crazily successful because of the sheer skills they have and control and accuracy. And again, yes, if you're bowling 95 miles an hour, but on the wrong strip, it doesn't really matter. So there's a balance to this, but... I just think ball speed for me is is the most exciting and my favourite category, uh, my favourite part of, of fast bowling. I like the answer, to be honest, because, again, it is the rock and roll star element of, of bowling, isn't it? Fast bowling, X-factor bowling. And, again, we could talk about it all day long. It's something which, even though I'm not a fast bowler myself, right, I'm your, your part-time spin bowler on the Village Green, but there is something <laughs> magical. Threatening. Yeah, not really threatening to to our score maybe maybe going for 40 runs off about three overs but, but um, in That's terms happened. of I don't know the ability to make a difference in a game that also is exciting isn't it to be honest like as we mentioned bringing Mark Wood on bringing Joffre Archer on bringing Dale Stain on for South Africa or Mitchell Johnson or Brett Lee or Sean Tate you have great the, names in there 100% and actually Sonny before we get on to the the in-depth discussion about same bowling and we continue that debate and discussion. Who would you say is your favourite ever fast bowler? Because there's an entire list of names. There's a pantheon of legends that we could choose from. But in terms of maybe one idol, one icon who's really influenced your critting journey, who'd you say that would be? Uh, so difficult. Uh, if I say one, um, it would have to be Dale Stain because I think he's just the full package. You've got everything there. Swing, accuracy pace you know you can touch above 90 miles an hour when you want to and also have ridiculous skills with the new ball reverse swing you know good everywhere white ball cricket as well just in terms of a bowler full package but yeah i mean it'd be rude not to mention brett lee i think just technical beautiful action to watch and some ridiculous ball speeds 2003, I don't think I saw a ball. I was watching some replays uh, the other day with Shabazz. I actually don't think I saw a ball below 92 miles an hour. That is ridiculous. Bowling one ball at 92 miles an hour is an unbelievable effort, but not dropping below that in a whole spell is just crazy. And I think, you know, everybody knew who the man was going to be at that, at that period of time, and it was Brett Lee. 
100%. So, I mean, two legends of the game. Dale Stain, just the 439 test wickets to the Stain gun. Just, just, Absolute, just quietly, yeah. Yeah, just quietly. Yeah, just one of the best to ever do it. <laughs> Dale Stain. And yeah. then, obviously, Binger Brettley. What a bowler. And Brettley just had a toe crunch in Yorker, didn't he? A bit like Sherbach mm. Tart. And that's what made him so incredibly dangerous. And that brings me beautifully onto my next question, Sonny. Because as a fast bowler... You do need variations, obviously. You need a good short ball. You do need a Yorker. Your changes of pace are also very valuable, aren't they? Because if someone is expecting you to charge in at 94, 95 mile an hour, and you can just have that change of pace, and maybe it drops to 88, you're going to induce some edges or you're going to induce some some mistimed shots. So that's an important aspect to consider as well. But in terms of you personally, what is your favourite delivery to bowl in the game of cricket? What really gets your juices flowing? On the cricket pitch. In Yorker. Great answer. In in Yorker. It's, I mean, there was a, <laughs> a bit embarrassed to say, but there was a video ages ago of me bowling with a pink ball uh, that people seem to enjoy. But I, yeah, I think in in Yorker is my favourite to bowl. Uh, visually, it just looks brilliant when the ball starts outside off stump, booms back, batters wielding out the way trying to jam their bat down, stumps blowing everywhere afterwards, just don't get any better than that for me. I think uh, in terms of the amount to to bowl in a row, I mean, a short ball is probably fun to bowl in a game, but I think if you can nail it in swinging your curb, it's just oof, top dollar for me. It is. Uh, and, you know, whenever someone mentions fast in swinging Yorker, I think back to the 2015 World Cup final, Mitchell starts Brendan McCullum. And that delivery is one of the most delectable pieces of bowling you'll ever witness in your life. Just a sensational piece of of not just swing, because the ball moves late as well. And that's what makes it even better, isn't it? That late movement on the ball as it just swings back in and castles the stump. There's no better sight in cricket. And I really like that answer because it also shows aggression in your bowling, which, again, is 100%. a great asset to have as a fast bowler. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, Stark bowled a naughty one to Ben Stokes, I think it was, uh, in the, was it 2019 World Cup? At Lords, yep, off Stump oh, Yorker. At searing pace as well. Just, there's no, there's nothing really like it, I don't think. And like you said, that's what people come out of the bar to watch the game for. That's why people are off their phones watching the game, is for, for deliveries like that, because they're just... It's very different. I mean, it's very satisfying when an off spin of boulderable miles outside off stump rags back through top of leg stump. But I think an in swing in Yorker for me, personal preference, would be my go to. Fair enough. It's not exactly a bad ball, is it? To have at your, your disposal <laughs> no, in right. a game of cricket. Goodness <laughs> me. And yeah, just talking of, of the art form again, because we could just talk about this for the entire episode. It is something which absolutely fascinates me, to be honest. But Sonny, when you're out in the middle, are you quite an aggressive character? Because this is something which does crop up time and time again on the podcast. But it's the the theory of white line fever, isn't it? When you're out in the heat of battle, you do have that aggression. The adrenaline's flowing. You're trying to get that opponent out. And sometimes fast bowlers do allow the anger to, to get to them. So have you ever suffered from white line fever? Or when you're out there, are you a little bit more controlled and, and cool and calm? How would you say your your mood is on the cricket field? It's a good question. I think it depends on the context for me. So um, I'm quite analytical as a person. So, you know, I'll always do my prep on the batters. I like to play the percentages. Just I feel like that's the objectively 
percentage chance the best way to go about it hence the phrase playing the percentages you're more likely to be successful um but there has definitely been spells i remember there was a it was a friendly game as well i don't know what was wrong with me but i bowled a short ball to someone and i gave him a little you know look him up and down and he just like laughed at me and i thought no no i'm not having that so i absolutely peppered the poor bloke and i was like this is a friendly game what am i doing why have i after the game i was like why have i done this um but that's just it's it's what i'm about really i you know i, I i'm always up for a battle and and i really think i get the best out of myself when i do that so uh you know there might be friendly games but i'm not friendly so yeah and i just think if you if you're not, if you're not gonna give it everything you can don't play you know so i always that is something that i do struggle with is friendly games getting that balance right in the development side of things because i am very competitive as well but in terms of uh there's not been any times where like a batter's hit the ball back at me and i've thrown it at them on purpose or you know said anything that i'd really regret uh just because i think i'm so focused on trying to do trying to get them out trying to win the game and think about what my best options are that I don't have the capacity to do all of those things at the same time um but yeah there's been, there has been a few examples where you know if I feel like now's the time to get into a battle especially if I'm tired it's a great time to say a little something to someone and hope they go back at you so you can get a bit pumped up um because you know bowling fast does require adrenaline it's one of the factors in bowling quick is how pumped up are you um but also you do want to be loose and fluid and relaxed because if you're all tensed up nervous and then spray someone and really angry as well uh you know you don't want to be too emotional but i think there's a fine fine balance to strike but uh like i said i'm, I'm fairly analytical so it caters reasonably well for me i think in terms of playing my percentages i feel like that's something that i try and do fairly well but obviously you can always you can always learn more about could have done that in x in x time uh like i said in that game where i got spanked around for 38 in in 1.5 overs uh it can get quite rabbit in headlights sometimes of oh i'm just gonna bowl quick i'm just gonna bowl short i'm gonna the... but uh you know mixing your pace at times like that i didn't bowl a single slur ball but he was lining me up off length and because the ball speed was good you can just pick it up hits the middle of the bat it's six or four so i think just trying to stay uh rational at times like that is really important trying to be objective and play and play the percentages because you know there's a reason it's called playing the percentages because a higher percent of the time it works so <laughs> just trying to stay as rational as i can but it, it very much depends on on context as well because there are definitely times where you want to you know get someone to prod the bear and get stuck in and you mentioned there about keeping your call cool and staying measured and having that even keel yeah, during a game of cricket it's a lot easier said than done isn't it you know when we're talking about here on a podcast compared to actually out there in the middle there's pressure the game situation might be slipping away and, and that brings me on to my next question to be honest Sonny because I know you're still a young seamer. There's still a lot of things to learn in your career. Your, your journey's only just started. I think there'll always be. Obviously, every, every day's a school day, isn't it? To to go on to yeah. something very cliche. But in terms of your journey so far, have you got any methods or any tactics that you adopt in the heat of battle to keep calm? Because as you mentioned, fast bowling is so adrenaline-focused, isn't it? It's so driven 
by that that battle-like nature between you and your opposition batter. So in the heat of that battle, how does Sonny Baker just take a step back, maybe refocus, readjust his line and lengths and keep disciplined during a game of cricket? Um, for me, I take a lot of confidence from my preparation beforehand. So I think the times where I personally, and this is more of just based on me as a character, the times where I personally get flustered is when I feel like I haven't done my analysis on the batters properly. You know, my warm-up was rubbish. Uh, you know, I didn't go through all the things I normally do. I'm not sure if I take my run-up out right. That Those sort of things uh, affect me massively. And obviously, it's something I want to work on is trying to be able to be adaptable. So, for example, in a T20, when you're batting at the end, hit the last ball of the game for six, hopefully, or get your poles blown out either way, run off, quickly get your pads off, and then you've got probably five, six minutes to prep. Can you do that and still be 100% for the first ball of the game? And same as rain delays, can you keep yourself in the right frame of mind and not get lethargic? Um, are things that I personally want to continue to work on. Um, but in terms of the measure, being measured in the heat of battle, and you'll still be phrase there, because I like it so much, um, is I read a book called The Pressure Principle by Dave Allred. Have you come across that by any chance? I haven't, but I'll look it up. Yeah, no, it's a good, really good read. Um, you can just get it off Amazon. I really just like a little bullseye on the um, front cover. But yeah, I've really, I really enjoyed reading that book. It just talked about uh, controlling your body language. Uh, but the main, the main concept that I took away from that was accepting nerves. Because for me, when I try and push nerves away or push pressure away, it builds up and I get anxious. Whereas if I just go, this is so cool. Look how many people have come out to watch. Like, look at this situation. This is the last over of the game. They need one to win. I want to win. I want to win this. They've got one wicket left. Uh, I mean, I've been in that situation once and lost, unfortunately. But uh, again, that I was in a fairly good frame of mind. Uh, so, yeah, I just think the embracing pressure, you know, it's a, it's a rocket fuel. It's, it's what you, you don't need to get adrenaline from having a battle with you feeling a bit nervous. That's a good thing, you know, use it. Uh, and the best way to do that is smiling. So, you know, all your physiological response to nerves is exactly the same as excitement. So if you can try and reframe that within yourself as I'm just excited, I can't wait for this, I'm ready to go, I want to bowl that last over, give me the ball skip, I'm ready, is such a different uh, perspective from, God, I really don't want to mess this up, this would be really bad if I bowled this down leg side and we lost the game on a wide, or oh my God, what happens if we don't win this game, we need to win for the competition, and oh, I, I didn't do very well earlier in the game, I really need to execute now. Like If you're just thinking like, this is brilliant, I can't wait for this, I'm ready, it's so, such a different perspective, and I think body language plays a big part in that as well. So like I said, those are great three main things I took away from that book, but I definitely recommend that. And anytime anybody asks me a question on on pressure or management of nerves or trying to stay rational and objective and measured is the, I talk about the pressure principle. Well, I'll tell you what, Sonny, I, I really like the attitude. I really do. And it's interesting because it's something which relates actually to something I heard KP say when he spoke about his batting, nerves show that you care. And if you can utilise those in a positive manner, 
and you can utilize those as rocket fuel, as you so eloquently put it, you're going to be a better player. As you're Dave Orrid enjoy- so eloquently put it, that's not me. I'm more or less a direct quote, but I Either way, the, the credit. It's, <laughs> it's a fantastic saying, though, and it's a great way of flipping your mentality into turning something which a lot of people see as something negative and making it a positive. So I really like that. And again, I just think back to watching A.B. de Villiers bats, and if anyone's ever seen him on a sideline, I remember watching him for RCB, and they'd pan to the dugout, and his right knee would always shake. That's how excited he was to go out into the middle. And then as soon as he's at the crease, he's the coolest man on the planet. He's hitting ramps, he's hitting scoops, reverse sweeps, he's smashing the ball out of the ground. There's no better person on the planet to be in that situation. And yet five minutes prior, he looked incredibly nervous. So again, it does show that you care. And nerves are also a wonderful thing. But I just wanted to touch upon another theory and another aspect of cricket, I suppose, and and wider life in general, Sonny. And that's the fear of failure. Do you use that as a motivator? Because the fear of failure is something which for a lot of people does hold you back. It's a case of in those situations, should I bowl that last over? Because if I mess this up, I've cost my teammates, I've cost the fans, I've potentially cost my team the chance of, of reaching a quarterfinal or a semi-final or a final. How do you approach the fear of failure? How do you view that as a concept? I'm going to have to talk about another book here. But there's there's a book called Peak, which talks about, uh, from Anders Ericsson, obviously very well spoken about uh, research researcher. Um, which talks about the fear of failure and um, people so often are terrified to, oh, I don't want to get it wrong. But the same as in training, you know, like you see people, oh, I don't want to try X slower ball because if I get smacked, you know, it'd be embarrassing. And But you have to get things wrong if you want to move forwards. You know, if you just do what you've always done, I mean, you know, the rest of that, you'll always be what you'll always be. So it's you have to try and progress and if you're going to try and progress you have to fail there's going to be failure inevitably so I try and look at failure as more of a learning than anything it's you know if I bowl the last over of a you know a t20 game t20 debut let's say uh we're about to get knocked out in the group stages after winning this year for me that's a great experience so you can learn so much from how to manage that um what balls you want to bowl, what are you better at executing under pressure, uh, fields-wise, can you manage your emotions when, you know, you got opening batters and you've got, you know, spinners and captain and all the other seamers are all around you saying, no, no, I think you need a deep extra cover because you just got hit over deep extra cover because you bowled too wide when you're trying to bowl a straight Yorker. Like, can you have the clarity to go, no, this is what I want to do and I'm sure that rationally this is the best thing or same as if you don't have mid-wicket or you don't have fine leg back and you're bowling short and the captain comes over and says, you need fine leg back to have the humility to say, yeah, you're right. I didn't think that through. I need fine leg back. Um, so I just think it's, it's it's seeing it as a learning experience rather than a measurement of where you are right now because you're always trying to get better. So I think as much as think people can see things as like trials and this is where you are right now, this is an objective measure of where you are right now. That's so dependent on how you feel on the day. There's so many different factors that I think it's almost null and void. So you might as well just see it as a as a learning experience. And it is tough to do that when there's pressure on and you're desperate to succeed because 
you know, I'm very open about caring a lot about what I do. Um, so that is something that comes into play, but just doing your absolute best to see it as a learning experience. And that perspective shift again is a massive thing for me personally. And again, I like that answer. And this might be an interesting question, actually, just to follow it up, Sonny. But as you mentioned, you've been playing cricket for years, but it wasn't the conventional route in, was it? It was via Devon, then via Somerset's really, pathway, no. and then obviously now you've you've gone on to represent yeah. Somerset's first team. So has that maybe impacted the way in which you view the game of cricket, or do you see it differently? Ooh, interesting question. I'd not thought about it in that level of detail before, but... Um... Considering it now, potentially, um, you know, I've very much got a, I try not to let it affect me too much, but I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder from obviously not having been rated particularly highly throughout, really. Uh, so, like I said, in primary school, I wasn't really the most popular kid. Thereafter, wasn't really that good. Uh, and then, you know, suddenly one year, something goes really well and everyone changes their perspective on things. So, I think it... Uh, might change my perspective slightly but in terms of that i i just try and read and learn things because you know books is someone's experience and generally they know what they're talking about if they're writing a book <laughs> not always but most of the time they know what they're talking about and writing a book and if it's been recommended to you by someone um i think that can have a massive impact in the believing someone because if it's credible if you know that person has credibility you know like i had a call um the other day I was talking with uh, with Brett Lee about some stuff, which was really cool. Uh, just messaged Peter Siddle and he said, oh, I'll get you in touch with, with Brett Lee, which was amazing. But um, just running through some concepts about stuff like that, having that credibility is so di different hearing it from Brett Lee than hearing it from, you know, Paul, who bowls left arm spin at your club cricket. It's so different, so different because you hear it from Brett Lee, it's 100% this must be true. Whereas you hear it from, you know, almost anybody else and it's, yeah, but, you know, I know they play first class cricket, but they're fatter and, oh, yeah, I know, but they, they just, I'm not sure they're the same type of character type as me or, you know, that oh, I'm not sure if I'd 100% be comfortable with changing places with them right now. So having credibility, I think, in, in, in the message is, is a massive thing. So reading is probably the thing I'd say that would have changed my perspective more than anything. But like you say, an unorthodox route or, or a route that's given me a bit of a chip on my shoulder in, in uh, the way I go about things is quite a, yeah, I'd say it's probably quite a unique perspective based on, based on the lead up to things. So yeah, potentially would have had, a, had an effect, but reading definitely has. And I can tell that, to be honest, because we keep on mentioning those books, don't we? Throughout today's podcast, quite clearly they have had a massive impact on your perspective as a professional cricketer runs. And before we discuss the, the more difficult aspects, I suppose, associated with same bowling, and we look ahead to the future, Sonny, I did promise that we'd go back to have a little bit more of a conversation about Somerset, because we've got to talk about your time at the West Country Outfit, because you just burst onto the scene. I mean, the stats <laughs> say it all, don't they? 19 wickets in 11 list A matches for Somerset County Cricket Club. That is incredibly impressive. So in terms of your debut for Somerset, what can you remember from stepping out onto that field for the very first time, given the fact that you had had such an unorthodox and unconventional route into the game? What can you remember and what were you feeling when you walked out onto that field as a representative of Somerset County Cricket Club? It's a good question. I'd actually just finished reading the 
pressure principle. Like just before that game, um, I had a bit of a how do I explain it? Yeah, I got I got pretty nervous for the warm up game because it was the first time I played at the county ground. We played against Cornwall. We actually lost that game, and I bowled terribly. Um, I was really nervous. Didn't really know where my wrist was behind the ball, which was something I was working on at the time, and still am. And yeah, that was a that was an experience for me that made me think that you need to finish this book and really rerun over the notes that you've taken from it because you read about it and not applied it in a context where it would have been the ideal situation to apply it. Um, but yeah, I was pretty nervous. But during the warm up and stuff, I did my best to try and stand up tall and look around the ground and take it in and and then smile because doing that change in your body position does change how you feel. It does so. Um, yeah, I did my best to do that in the warm-up, get that out of the way, smile, like, oh, my God, I'm really excited. And uh, one of the coaches, uh, Greg Kennis, actually said, he said a few times during games that I've been playing, he said, skill-wise, mate, you're absolutely fine. It would just be emotional control. Just need to manage your emotions. You're ready. You just, emotional control you need to manage as best you can, which was timed it really well, uh, obviously deliberately so. It wasn't just before I went out, but it was probably 10 minutes before the start so I had a bit of a chance to reflect on that and go yeah tell you what you are right I can do it I just need to manage my emotions and and try and not get too overwhelmed with what was going on um and then as I was coming out uh I remember this and I've told him about this before but Jack Brooks was amazing because like, I was a little bit uh looking fairly shell-shocked my dad said um uh, <laughs> yeah thanks dad but I was looking a bit shell-shocked because I was on my way out and um, yeah, Brooksy just came over, put his arm around me, went, how are you feeling, mate? You ready to go? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And he was like, you'll be fine, mate, crack on. Uh, I'm not sure if he said crack on, but he said, you'll be fine, mate. And then, yeah, something something else, crack on to me. And then he uh, went from, he bowled the first over of the game uh, and thankfully it went for eight. So I was like, oh, okay, I only need to go for less than eight and then I'm all right. Um, and then as soon as my first over had got out of the way, uh, went for one, I think it might have been a maiden, went for one or something, and I was like, okay, I'm ready, I'm good, I'm good. And as soon as the first over was out of the way, suddenly it's all, it's all done. It's very similar in my 100 debut, which was, you know, the first T20 game I'd played for professional cricket. I played a couple of twos games, um, but, you know, making a T20 debut in 100 was quite a jump for me. Um, and again, once I finished those first, well, not six, but five balls, it was, you know, I've got it. I've got it out of the way. It's all right. It's not, I didn't get hit for, you know, 30. So it's okay. Didn't bowl any noise or any wide. So I'm, I've finished it now. I can just get stuck in and enjoy the game. So I think it's just getting the first bit out of the way. And then, uh, yeah, I was supported really well through through both of those things. So. And that's really important, isn't it? For any young player starting off their journey, it's a case of having the backing of the dressing room and they are a very supportive bunch down in Somerset I've heard plenty of good things about that dressing room so absolutely no surprises to hear that and whatsoever throughout, throughout that competition uh, Ben Green was captain I'm sure he'll be involved in the 100 this year fingers crossed because he's unbelievably talented but I think the um, the captaincy the faith that he had in me throughout that competition in the first year was just amazing like I couldn't really believe it anytime he needed a wicket he'd go bake your own bowl I'm like, yes, yes, sir, I'm ready. Um, so it was it was brilliant. I could just see the timings and the more that 
I did well when I'd been trusted to do a job or come on and get a wicket or, you know, come on and suddenly the run rate changes and the energy about the team changes. Um, you know, you only have to do that a couple of times and having the captain's backing makes a huge difference. And uh, yeah, Green is always, always brilliant with that. And I've, I've said to him, you know, he asked me about his captaincy, I think. And I said, mate, you know, if you were telling me to jump, I'd just ask how high. And that'd be it. So, you know, it's, I, I do think he managed that really, really well. Whether that was deliberate or not, I don't know, because it was his first experience captaining as well. So it may or may not have been, but it was a it was a massive thing for me and really improved my confidence because, like I said, it was a very quick route to professional cricket, finished my A-levels, and then I was playing a few weeks after that. Um, so, and then having, like I said, having not been on the on even the academy uh, twelve months beforehand was quite a uh, it was quite an experience and uh, and Green having faith in me throughout that competition really made a really made a big difference and and it'd be yeah unfair of me not to mention that because that did make a significant difference in my confidence and therefore how I was able to perform. Well, that's great advice, isn't it, for any upcoming captains because that yeah, right there, that passage just shows the importance of a captain's backing. It is absolutely pivotal, in particular for young players, because you've got the nerves, you've got the pressure, you want to to make that name for yourself. And if the captain says, you know what, in this situation, I trust you, that gives you more confidence. It gives you that self-belief and yeah. fair play and to Especially when you don't do well, saying it's okay mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Um, you know, I've seen that a lot in... in uh, club cricket when when somebody's doing bowl one bad over get taken off straight away whereas when the captain comes over puts their arm around them goes mate it's all right you know this is with yes we want to win this game but it's also about your development you know we want to make you a better player we think you're going to be a star for the club moving forwards we've got to get you some more confidence so you've got at least a couple more mate just settle in it'll be all right you know and obviously there's times if they're going for bowling nobles and wides and going for 40 you're going to lose the game straight away so there's a balance but like you said, um, you know, fair play to Greener for, for giving me that confidence in that competition because, you know, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference when you're backed by the captain and you can tell when you're not. You can definitely tell when you're not backed. So, 100%. And it's something that I don't like seeing, for example, when a young bowler doesn't have a good over and the captain doesn't go over and just put the arm round or have a word with them because those words of yeah. encouragement, the support, the backing of your captain is paramount in that stage of your career. So many cricketers come on this podcast and talk about the importance of their first ever captains and how that gave them the confidence going forward. And talking to Ben Green, obviously, well, former Devon man, isn't he? Of Exeter. Yes, he is Exeter CC. Exeter Cricket Club, along with Tom Lamanby, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, again, a lovely awesome. Devon connection down in Somerset at the moment. But yeah. talking of... played any Devon games with Greener. Have you not? Um, I've only played one... Uh, game for Devon men's one oh, game wow. down at Sidmouth made a yeah Don made, it, club. yeah made my debut yeah yeah nice ground as well yeah mm-hmm. but played played one one game there and then haven't actually played again for Devon uh, minor counties just based on the way things have gone uh, but played a lot of age group cricket a lot of under 18s and uh, you know really enjoyed that Sandy Allen at, at, uh, at Devon has been amazing in supporting my my development from that point of view in that um you know, just asked very politely. I don't think he knew that I was signed at the time, but just asked very politely, oh, do you fancy coming down to play a Devon 18s game? I think it'd be good to, 
you know, you to play with those guys. I think they'd really appreciate it and make a big difference. And, you know, hearing that from a coach is like, you know, you want them to play with me because you think I'll have an impact on them. Really? Like what? what you, wow. You know, it makes a big, big difference. And, and it's similar to, to being backed by your captain. But yeah, I've got to give a good shout out to Sandy. He's been amazing for me personally. Yeah, outstanding. Well, that's excellent to hear, Sonny. And again, we'll probably come back onto that overarching theme of, of your inspirations in the game of cricket towards the latter Ooh. stages of the podcast, because again, you have had quite a few. Exactly. You've had quite a few, haven't you, in the early stage of your journey. But just going back to the conversation about Ben Green, because that does bring me sensationally onto my next question. And that is, of course, about the Durham game, because... In my opinion, that was the best oh. game of the entire Royal London One Day Cup last season. That was absolutely extraordinary. Extraordinary. So who better we to lost. talk about that game? I know and you lost, lost, Sonny, but uh, who better to talk about that game than you? Because you didn't just take the six for in the first innings, but you were at the other end witnessing <laughs> yeah. an extraordinary <laughs> innings from Ben Green. So what can you remember from that incredible encounter at the Cooper Associates County Ground? Oh, I was just lost for words. Greener was absolutely smoking it, honestly. The targeting the short boundary. Um, they bought, they, I think they bowled three different bowlers from the uh, now the Marcus Triscothic end and got just all of them got hit into the into the roof every time, into the stands or into the roof. I was like, what's going on here? Um, and yeah, Greener's a very passionate uh, passionate guy and, and yeah, he was just on fire that day. I... I was lost for words. I was in the every time he'd hit a four, I'd just go, shot mate. And I'd be like, I'm not don't know what else to say. I'd just go back down the other end. Just gonna watch shot mate. And he gave me this look like, you know, like off. Oh. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's gonna bring us over the line single handedly. Because, you know, although I've got six, they still got three hundred and what was it, forty two, I think. Let's go. Yeah, three hundred and forty two. Right that's ridiculous. What can I say? What can I say? No my staff. Um, but yeah, he got, he got um, I think it was his from 50 to 150 in 33 balls. That is ludicrous. And he was just smacking it everywhere. And, um, you know, from the start of the chase, we thought, oh, no, we're, we're out of the game here. They got too many. Uh, we're in real trouble. But just smacked it, smacked it everywhere. And I was convinced we were going to do it. I just knew I was going to hit a couple into Morrison's car park and it'll be game over. Thanks very much, everyone. Um, but yeah, obviously, unfortunately not. So we were gutted. It was funny. Um, the uh, head coach of the Royal London stuff, Paul Tweddle, said before before the game, you know, lads, we're one individual performance away from from winning this game and turning our group stages around. Okay, like one individual performance. I get six, he gets 150, and we still lose. It was just like, oh, what, how, what are the odds of that? Um, but it was a funny, yeah, we had a laugh about that afterwards. But, um, well, quite a long time afterwards, I might add, we were pretty bitter immediately after. But, um, yeah, it's a good catch as well at the end. But that was a serious experience. I get so nervous when I bat relative to my um, bowling. Like, I, I, you know, like I said, played at the GS, played at Headingley, was probably the most direct uh direct engagement from the crowd that I've had, I think, uh, especially in the field. Um, and that's fine. I could I manage that just fine. Uh, but going out with the bat, I suddenly realised how many people were in the ground and how loud it was and what was going on and the score. And oh, 
So it's quite, <laughs> it quite a change in, uh, in dynamic. But obviously, Greener wasn't really having that problem that day. He certainly wasn't, was he? 157 <laughs> no. from 84 deliveries. It was, as you yeah. put it, ludicrous, to be completely honest. Oh my 84 balls. It was a barnstorming innings, to say the very least. And Sonny, before we discuss the art of seeing bowling a bit further and look at the future just to wrap up today's podcast, in terms of those six wickets, you mentioned about being a badger. You said about your great cricket knowledge. Can you remember all six of your wickets and the player that you ran so. out? Oh, no, but I can remember the throw that started like in the car. I threw it seam up because I was trying to get rid of it so quickly. I fumbled it. Um, the ball skipped just before me. I like didn't quite get it in my hand. So the ball was seam up and I was like, I'm going to have to throw it if I'm going to run him out. So I launched this ball and <laughs> Brooksy, you can see from his reaction, he goes, oh, <laughs> ends up like dead straight in front of the thumbs, takes them off. And then um, Casey ran over during, uh, after, I think you can see on the replay where he goes like, like what? <laughs> what's happened to that? That ball's gone miles. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, it was Bushy first, hard length, tried to, well, it's basically a rubbish bouncer uh, that he tried to pull, skewed to, they were 67 for none, I think, hit to Alfie at fine leg. Um, then it was, I think it was then second spell, uh, Madison straight away tried to tee me into the car park, um, bold off stump. Then Borthwick, hard length, hit up to mid-off. Great catch by Rui. Look, stood at uh, looking at George and then put in a full-length dive. Fourth one, Sean Dixon. Uh, obviously, now it's something. Cut me through point, and I thought, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. This is not good. He's moving around the crease. Like, saw him go across offside, and I thought, I'm going to smack him in the shin here. Um, hit him in front of ball three. Massive selly for the fourth. Uh, obviously, that was the most I'd got in Royal London at the time. Then an absolute slot ball for my fifth. <laughs> Honestly, one of the worst deliveries I'd bowled at the death ever. Um, that he just smacked to uh, Casey Aldridge at six, I think he's six five, six six. So he's a long man. Um, well, he's not as long anymore. He's put on a bit more size now. He's in good shape. But um, caught overhead at long on for five for one of the more. Uh, <laughs> relaxed sellies that I've ever had. It was uh, quite a oh, <laughs> I can't believe that's just happened. Um, and then in swing and Yorker's finish for six. Well, that's incredibly impressive to be completely honest. Yeah, all six, six for 46 from 10 overs, which is quite remarkable figures to be honest in just your second season at Somerset County Cricket Club. And that's just good. talking of the runouts, Chris Rushworth was who you ran out ah, with that throw. One oh, of the greatest to ever do it for Durham. joke about that as well. Oh, I should have remembered that. Should've Even remembered though, Sonny, I've got to say, great cricket knowledge, fair play, considering that was nearly <laughs> a year ago. It's all right when it's your own performances, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But again, great levels of, of cricket badgery on display there. So <laughs> as a fellow badger, I completely respect that. Got to and do it. Got to do it. <laughs> You did. <laughs> and again, as I said, great, great performance. One of the best games of the entire season. So fair play. It does take two to tango. Oh. Obviously, Somerset were on the, the wrong side of the resort yeah, that game, losing tough. by nine runs, but it's tough. And phenomenal, the next game we played against display. Middlesex, it was, scores were drawn and we thought we were going to draw the game. Last over, Renner's got an unbelievable run out at, at, at mid-on. Mid 
I nailed Yorker, hit the mid off, throw bowl of stumps. Uh, the guy just didn't run his bat in for some reason, and they were nine down. They were top of the group at the time. We were like, oh my god, we might we might draw this game. One to win, no way. And then uh, again, hit Yorker pretty well. Just managed to squeeze it between extra and cover, and ran ran a single through. And I was like, oh well. At least I hit my Yorker. I'll allow, I'll allow the allow the loss. Uh, I was more frustrated about the two overs beforehand, or my over beforehand, where I bowled a, I think I bowled a flat one because I was trying to bowl a Yorker, and then on the free hit, I bowled a slot ball off cutter that got hit for six over my head, and then suddenly it was uh, they needed eight off two, it was eight off two, or I can't remember exactly how many it was off two, but not very many when it would have been potentially twenty. Uh, which was a bit well, probably fourteen then by that math. Um, but yeah, that was it was a tough run of games in a row where you think, oh, individually I've done fairly well. I'm pretty happy. It's just little fine, little fine changes. I mean, that's, that's how it works, isn't it? In in competitive cup competitions, it's just little little things that make the difference. But it was, uh, yeah, Durham was a good day. It was a good day. I was gutted for Greener not to have won the game because that would have been a hell of a hell of a performance individually. It certainly would have been, and even regardless of the result, we're still looking back on it now in in awe and amazement, aren't we? So and rightfully so. Yeah, he's a good player, Ben Green, leading wicket taker in this year's T Twenty Blast as well. So yeah, watch out for and that guy. And he's got, and a, got a fantastic moustache. I'm sure there's several. <laughs> yes, he does. More importantly, has a fantastic moustache. <laughs> but there's um. I reckon there'll be a few people at the wildcard draft who'll come and come and snatch him up. And good for him. I think he I think he deserves that opportunity. I was surprised not to not to see that last year with hundred and fifty, but obviously as captain that might have made it a bit difficult. But yeah. He's a talented guy and a lovely guy as well. Really nice guy. And they're exactly the kind of people you like to see excel in the game 100%. of cricket when you've got that mix of both. But just picking up on on that previous conversation there, Sonny, about the the tough run of games towards the end of that one-day cup campaign, I suppose, because that was very tough for Somerset. One win in the entire group stage, wasn't it, against my county of Warwickshire, yeah. which uh, cost us a place in the quarterfinals. We'll, we'll not touch Probably. upon that, but yeah. <laughs> thank, you, James, <laughs> yeah. thank you, James Roo, for scoring 96. And now look at him, yeah. one of the best players yeah. in the country. But just talking yeah. of the, the more difficult aspects of the game, because unfortunately cricket isn't all sunshine and rainbows, is it? You're going to have some tremendously no. tough moments. And you've had your fair share, to be honest, in particular with your injuries and certain games. So, Sonny, what do you say has been your toughest moment in the game of cricket so far? Um, it's tough to say really directly because there's obviously a couple that, um, you know, both obviously it'd be between two in the, in the injuries that I've had in the, um, you know, when I've played, I've got really fantastic opportunities and and tried to take them the best I I could. Um, but yeah, I've I've had a bit of a run of luck with injuries, which hopefully will be different next year. Um, but yeah, I think being on a World Cup uh, with England, which is a dream come true, trained really really hard in preparation for that. My fitness scores were the best they'd been um, beforehand. Uh, you know done a lot of work indoors bowling wise and then to get out there and get injured in the first over of the first warm-up game and then be uh singing the national anthem for the first group stage game against um i think it was bangladesh 
and then watching and then knowing I've got a taxi that's in two hours that's going to take me to the airport to take me home would probably be the toughest I think probably the toughest moment to be honest for me because obviously this year is disappointing but because it was um you know it wasn't like I'd been in the squad for the first T20 and then got injured in the warm-up which was how it felt for the World Cup was I was okay I was okay I was managing and then you know sent home with a with a stress fracture which then means you know you're going to miss the start of the season moving forwards as well so yeah I think probably probably that World Cup experience would be the toughest so far because as you've seen from you know Devolt Brevis things can happen when you're on a on a stage where everyone's watching uh and you know I thought okay I'm I'm on for a chance to make a name for myself here um led the attack in the series at Kent at Canterbury and at, uh I think it's called Polo Farm yeah against the West Indies um and yeah led the attack in that played in four out of the five games did fairly well um you know really enjoyed it uh, had backing from the captains in uh Presty and uh Jacob Bethel two guys are doing fairly well right now as well <laughs> um, but yeah that would probably be my my toughest just based on the potential of that situation uh the obviously then the fallout thereafter and you know it's pretty tough when you're in uh St Kitts and and loving the weather and yeah then on your way back fairly shortly that was a pretty tough thing to tough thing to take well that's completely understandable and it was an incredible tournament as well wasn't it as you mentioned the has gone on to get opportunities for the Mumbai Indians and Mumbai, various yeah. franchises Mumbai Ahmed, I think is, is the Ahmed, of course how did I not mention Ray in that context you know four three fourfers um obviously yeah in the in the World Cup is an achievement anyway and you know he's played, <laughs> he's played test cricket for England now <laughs> So it's quite a it's quite a thing that could that can happen and that, yeah like I said when you're on a world stage and everyone's watching it does make a does make a difference to those performances they really do carry a bit more weight and uh, yeah it's tough not to think that that might have been a missed opportunity there uh, so I've got no complaints exactly got to take the rough with this mood don't you so you do and and that relates quite nicely onto my next question to be honest Sonny because. It is the most difficult aspect of cricket, isn't it? When you're out injured, you can't control the controllables and you can't go yeah. out there and yeah. put your I name... I think you can. I think you can control the controllables still. Well, go on then. Is the, is the difference um, in that, yeah, I can't go and bowl, but I can still manage what I eat. I can still make sure I'm doing all my rehab. I can still make sure that after this period of time, I can look back and go, I've made the most of that. You know, I've really done what I can with the time. So, you know went on holiday in summer i'm never going to get well not never hopefully never but i'm unlikely to get that opportunity ever again touch wood um so you know went on holiday with just my mum which was really nice uh went on holiday um you know with with just dad as well so again that was really nice as well so having the chance to do things like that aside from cricket was a lovely break and i felt like i needed a bit of time away uh i'll talk about that in a little minute but um i'll explain why that is uh, obviously based on injury but yeah so just trying to make the most of the time like i said spend a bit of time with speed camp <clears throat> doing my biology degree got stuck into a finance course as well because i've got the time you know doing this just all sorts of opportunities that i get offered up or well not all of them been offered up try to actively go and find some of them 
um, most of them. And obviously, this is more of a oh, this is a good chance. I'll take, I'll make the most yep. of it while I can. Um, and yeah, like I said, just making the most of my time. Got some finance work experience that I'm trying to trying to line up as well, which will be which will be good, a bit exciting. So just, I think you can control the controllables. As a summary, there's there's more that you can do than you think. Uh, yeah, I'd say this. you can you can undervalue this time, and and uh, it's an opportunity, not a not a waste of time. Because it's so easy to be negative about this situation, like, oh, you know, I wanted to play in the T20s. I wanted to be in the first team that won. Me, 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 me. Like, yeah, of course I did. Of course I did. Of course I'm gutted that I wasn't involved in that side. Of course I'm gutted that two weeks before the two T20s, where I'd had a spell where I was bowling speed of light, felt like, and then you're having pain, which holds you back. Think, oh, come back, it'll be okay a couple of balls in uh, in training and you're like I can't do this guys I need to go and get a scan I'm in a bad way um, and then obviously right before the T20s are starting to kick off you know and then seeing all the guys do well obviously it's fantastic like I'm so proud of the boys to have won and I mean that honestly like that's a massive thing for Somerset as a club because obviously we got through to the final a few times not come out on the right side of it so it's a massive massive thing and I think um, you know that mental block is done now we've won so we can go and do it again and you know we're going to do everything we can to do that again so yeah and obviously making my champo debut would have been really nice um obviously with the way things have gone steamers have been rotated uh potentially would have got an opportunity so it's obviously really there are a lot of things to be frustrated about and they're not within my control you know if i was you know drinking loads and getting three hours of sleep night before games and then I pull my calf it's like well is that bad luck or is that my fault that's probably my fault but because I try and do things as well as I can it's a very difficult situation in that you know I've <laughs> I've done all the core exercises all of my fitness scores would suggest that I'm in a great way um technically done some stuff this winter uh you know prepare well sleep well eat well so it is difficult to take when you're the one getting injured, uh, relative. So yeah, there are lots of things to be frustrated about, but you have to stay positive. And it's not, it, as much as it is an act at times, it has to be because you convince yourself eventually, eventually. Um, so yeah, I just say, like you said, control, control what you can and focus on trying to make the most out of the chance that you've got to to do other stuff because you're not going to get that again in season. It is just too busy to do stuff like this. I wouldn't be able to go away for a week and work with Shabazz. I wouldn't be able to just do a finance course alongside biology. It's busy enough as it is. So, yeah, I just think trying to trying to make the most of that time. And making the best out of your situation, which, to be completely honest, it sounds like you've done, to be honest, Sonny. Just going back we'll to... We'll find out by the end. I'll do a little <laughs> do a review once I finish my, my rehab, whether I've actually missed any chances anywhere or things i'd want to do um but yeah do my best <laughs> and that's all you can do but i just wanted to go back to the, the previous passage if i could where you mentioned about having to take that time away from the game because yep. obviously for for yourself you're a massive cricket obsessive i think that's quite clear to see and we can get caught up in this game it's very easy mm -hmm. to just focus your life around cricket so if you don't mind expanding upon that because you did say you'd come back to it Sonny I'll why did you it, feel yeah. the need to take time away from the game and almost have that that reset for your cricketing journey 
Yeah, so um, it's a good question, and I don't mind sharing fairly openly. I mean, the the way I dealt with things uh, last year, well, I suppose it is last year, yeah, when I was um, obviously dealing with the injury that I had, slowly rehabbing, um, the more time I spent around uh, the lads, like as much as it's great to see them, and I love them as people, because they play cricket, chats are always about cricket and about what's going on and who's doing what and how things are. And, you know, that makes it really difficult. You know, it's all okay until someone asks you, are you sure you're all right? You know, like that's a, t- and then suddenly it's like, oh, not how I thought I was. And then I'm not quite sure anymore. Um, so yeah, getting, getting the chance to go on holiday has been, has been really nice in that, you know, watching the T20s would have been really difficult, especially from the changing rooms. Um, I got asked whether I wanted to do the behind the Wyvern footage thing from in the dressing room to stay around the boys. And, you know, Ollie Sale, who's, uh, you know, loves loves the environment, same as me, you know, very hardworking guy. His way of dealing with being injured and out of the game was spending time around the lads, getting involved in different ways. And people were different. And for me, that made me feel worse. So I felt more, I felt further away from where I wanted to be. I felt more envious of people getting opportunities. Whereas when I'm sat back doing my biology degree or my finance or doing some coaching elsewhere, you know, I can look at guys doing well and go, well done, mate. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud for the boys. And I mean it rather than go, yeah, lads, I'm really happy for you all. Like, whereas it's, it's a lot easier to be rational and objective when you've had a bit of time away to, you know, manage how you're feeling, have a little break, you know, be a little bit negative at times, vent, get it off your chest um, to to dad and, and to mum when I'm on a holiday. So just just gives me a chance to really think about things from from that from that point of view. And and yeah, just like you say, have a little reset and, and go again, because it can be tough. It can be tough being around it all the time and putting on a brave face all the time makes it really difficult. Whereas um, you know, we're going up to have a trophy presentation later on today. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing all the guys. So it'll be good. So it's going to be, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it will be good. It would be a good thing. And I just feel like having a bit of time away allows you to reset and, and yeah, just, just, and just reset and think about things a bit more objectively. It gives you perspective, doesn't it? I think that's the, the overarching theme of that. When you are injured, it does put things into into place in terms of putting in steps for your future like the finance aspect of things like the biology course as well because you do also have to have a backup plan in an ideal world cricket would be your your long-time career but it's a short window isn't it in your life still finishes before 40 really i mean if you can carry on going till you're 45 even then that would be unheard of and even then you've still got quite a considerable amount of time until so you know, you might be well off financially and be absolutely fine, but what are you going to do with your time? You're just going to sit about and not do very much, really. You're only 45. You just finished cricket. You don't want to do anything else. So there's a lot of different options. Even well, more likely, late 30s, finished, 40 finished, 38, 39. So what are you going to do throughout that time? Through all your 40s, you're going to be live off what you've done. Probably not. Most people would say no. So and that's best case scenario. You are financially set. So. Yeah, you are so right and having a backup plan is so is really important and I think it's a big, big thing is once you've got a plan B you can 
have a bit more faith in plan A and really get stuck into plan A. Um, as much as there is sometimes merit in not having one and having to succeed in plan A, I think in this context, having a plan B means I can really get stuck into my cricket and really go for all in because fundamentally it's not a necessity. It's not the only option that you have. Uh, so it just gives you a real perspective change and allows you to get really stuck in when you do get stuck in. It certainly does. And I think it also makes you appreciate the cricket more, doesn't it? Because that's what you want to do. So I think that's a very important thing to take away from the podcast, Sonny. And just before we do wrap up today's episode, I did mention it earlier, but I just wanted to know what makes Sonny Baker tick, to be honest. So in terms of your motivation and your inspiration, obviously reading, I think it's clear that you have an obvious love for the game. But in terms of the people in your life, who have been those inspirations, who have motivated you along this journey, a journey which, to be honest, is only just getting started. It's a very, very exciting time, not just in your career, but in your life, to be honest, mate. So in terms of those inspirations, who do you say have been the the most influential people on Sonny Baker's critting journey to date? I'd have to start with my parents. I mean, most people do, but I think it's a very different uh, thing for me in that my dad has always been an inspiration and a role model for me and the way he goes about things is very detailed and and um you know he's very successful in his own right and i think that's something that i want to try and emulate and just the way he goes about things is massive he always says um you know fail to prepare prepare to fail um other things like uh trying to think of some of his quotes now uh you know everyone makes mistakes uh, some people make them twice, but only fools make them three times. Uh, there's, there's loads of others, loads of others. The main one I think that I try and take things from is um, I've helped. I think I've rephrased this significantly, but um, you know, you can have a lot of exposure and gain very little experience, or have very little exposure and gain a lot of experience. It just depends on your application. So that's the main thing I think that I try and uh, learn from and, and emulate is because, you know, you can play, you can play loads and loads of games and not really have any idea what's going on. The captain always sets your field and you don't really actually know. I just bowl and sometimes it hits the stumps and sometimes it doesn't. And I've just got a fielder's set, but the captain does that. and. I don't really know how to warm up. I just sort of rock up and, oh, now I'm injured. I don't really understand what's going on. You know, it's very different to having a very deliberate uh, set of things that you're trying to learn about and um, asking questions that you think will really benefit you from guys rather than just asking a question for the sake of it, Um, you know, which I've done, definitely. There's been questions which I've asked, which I've just been interested in and gone, oh, and then thought, actually, had he given me the answer I was looking for, would I really have actually learned anything from that? Probably not. So I need to ask a better question. It's not the answer. It's the question that's not not the not the best thing. So, um, I, yeah, obviously start with my parents. My mum's a very nice balance to that. You know, I can always vent to her and she's a very big emotional support for me. Um, you know, like if I've got a problem, I'll go to dad. If I'm, if I'm feeling rubbish, I'll go to mum. So I've got a very good, uh, very good support network. Um, and... I always come back to uh, a couple of people really who backed me in that period of time where I did fall in the gap. And there's no real two ways of putting it. I, I did fall down the middle of the Devon Somerset for a period of time. 
Um, well, probably three people then. Obviously, Sandy Allen, I've already mentioned, supported me massively. There was a call uh, we had uh, where I'll never forget where I was at school uh, up at King's and I just gave I just gave him a ring. I was like, Sandy, what what's going on with this structure? I don't really understand what's going on. You know, like, oh, and he just said, like, it's going to be all right, mate. Like, you'll be, you'll be fine. I think just keep improving as an individual and, you know, I know you will. You'll, you'll be all right. We'll work this out. Uh, which is a real, you know, coming from someone who manages the the youth cricket in Devon, it was a massive thing for me. Um, and then, yeah, also Andrew Griffiths, I've mentioned him on a couple of other uh, occasions in doing similar, having similar questions like that during um, lockdown. <laughs> He's actually told me off as telling this story, but I can't, I can't not say it. Um, he was, you know, sending me messages about stuff to work on. I've improved a significant period during that lockdown because I had time. I had the option to go down to the nets at Torquay, uh, which was brilliant. You know, the the guys at Torquay were brilliant for allowing me to have that opportunity to go down and, and work on some stuff. My little brother as well was was massive in, in doing that, my cameraman. And uh, he's over there. He's not looking at me, but <laughs> he's smiling now. But yeah, he was massive in that, um, you know, and bouncing ideas off him is always a big thing. Uh, and then Alex Barrow as well was massive in uh, teaching me about working smart and, and hard rather than, um, you know, because I'm quite an obsessive character openly, um, you can go down the wrong route with things where I'm going to do more training because it's the best thing because it's better. I want to do more because more is always better. More is not always better. It depends on the context and absolutely when you're doing a session if, if if it's meant to be max intensity and you're not putting in max intensity you're not working hard enough but if it's a recovery run you don't need to be doing a four minute mile you know like there's a there's a big big difference in um that that baz taught me and i still message him uh now and I've, he's been he's he's great contact for me he's a really good support um and yes, yeah, speaking to him about that sort of thing is is always something that I'll do. And and yeah, I think we're quite similar characters because he's a very hardworking individual. And I think the way he goes about things is also something I want to try and emulate. And, you know, he just taught me about being really deliberate with what the purpose of what I'm doing is. So like I said, with that recovery session is the easiest exaggerated example. If you're doing a recovery swim and movement work in the pool, you don't need to go and swim 50 lengths afterwards because you want to work on your aerobic base. Like your 2K is fine, mate. You don't need to worry about it. You just need to stay healthy. Like let's just make sure we're managing your workload, you know, and and intellectually trying to learn all the things you can rather than just getting stuck in. I asked him a question the other day, uh, which was, what would you, it was the, it was the thing I spoke about with exposure and experience. Like what would you classify as experience and, and uh, how do you think people gain experience? Because obviously it's not just number of games. Um, and he just talked to me about if you were traveling and you might have been to India 10 times, but stayed in the hotel and never gone out versus for 10 weeks versus being in a living in India, actually going out in India and living in there for a week. Who's more experienced about the culture of India? No question. It's the person who's really, you know, engaged in that experience. So, um yeah like i said i think he's he's a massive support for me and like i said griff was outstanding during lockdown um 
didn't have that much support outside of that. Sandy was brilliant and uh, and my parents as well. And I think there's probably a few people who've gone unmentioned there. Uh, Steve Shaw at Kings was really good with before my uh, first season, did a lot of running uh, mechanics work and that made a big difference. I'm definitely going to have a conversation with him soon. Uh, I actually messaged him after, I'll message him after this. Um, about doing some sessions together and just looking at my running mechanics again because that made a real difference, the smoothness and efficiency in approach. Um, but, yeah, and just talking general S&C with him was was awesome. So, yeah, I think I'm sure there's people I've missed and, and I'm sorry for to those people, but those would be the ones at the top of my mind right now and I think they all definitely deserve to mention. Well, I'll tell you what, Sonny, some very, very good inspirations there. In particular, your good family, list. it's, good it's something which offer. which comes up time and time again, doesn't it? The support network that you have around you and your parents and your brother, obviously, have been massive influences yeah. in these stages yeah. of your cricketing journey. And then obviously those three guys, well, four actually, including Steve, who have really made you a better cricketer as well. Also so important to have guys who have faith, who believe in your abilities and put confidence in you to get there. Seamers as well i'm surprised i've not mentioned them either um marchant delang was great when he was at somerset with me um as has josh davy he's been brilliant i've had a couple of chats with craig as well you know all the, i mean all of the guys have been great um and like i said green as captaincy has also played a significant role in in developing me as a as a both a person and a and a cricketer and that sounds so cliche but i do mean it confidence wise it's definitely changed me as a person you know, back in myself because, you know, when we need a wicket, give me the ball. So I must be good, you know, like he must, must trust me. So, um, yeah, I think those guys have also made a big difference and, and, uh, should have mentioned them in the big long list really, but, uh, you know, had to get them in at some point and those guys have been great as well. Well, again, that's lovely to hear because when you do have supportive teammates, again, it makes your job so much easier, doesn't it? If you can go out there and your captain, the, the elder statesman of that of that dressing room do believe in you to, to go out there and perform and get those wickets. Goodness me, it makes your job a heck of a lot easier. But, Sonny, before we wrap up what's been a fascinating episode of the podcast, honestly, it's been absolutely <laughs> so, so. brilliant. Hope to be. No, it has, mate. Honestly, I'm not just saying that. It's been absolutely fascinating, to say the least. Just one final question to wrap up this podcast, because you're still only 20 now. years of age, <laughs> right? You're still in the very early stages of your cricket career. It's been a very interesting cricket career, to say the least, though. With Devon, Somerset, the England under-19s, you went on to become the first ever player to make your T20 debut in the 100 as well. So an awful lot's happened in, in a very, very short <laughs> space of time, to put it lightly. So what yeah. does the immediate future hold for Sonny Baker? Well, I think we'll have to... The immediate future, um, I think, next year... As I said at the start of this year, I'm going to have a speed starting with a nine in in one of the games that I play in. Um, you know, I want to want to be involved in the T20 stuff, the championship stuff. Obviously, that stuff is out of my control, but um, I definitely want to be involved in those next year, uh, and then hopefully the hundred thereafter. If if I do well in in the in the T20 stuff, I'm hoping that would be an opportunity that I'd be able to to take, um, and then potentially see where the winter goes i mean it, you do have to take things as they come um but you know i'm very i try and be as optimistic as i can uh and i want to try and take opportunities if they come in the winter um you know franchise cricket is something that i'm really 
excited by. Uh, I've had a little taste of it and, you know, I'd be desperate for, for more opportunities, really. There was, uh, you know, there's, I'm really interested in baseball as well. I know we haven't actually covered that, um, but yeah, there's some, there's some baseball stuff that I was doing a little bit of research into. Um, and, you know, I think with the cricket that's going on in America right now, it'd be, it'd be rude not to take that opportunity if it came about, if I, if I'm honest, whether that's in the, you know, Atlanta open, us open or the bigger competition that's going on right now. Also, um, I think it, yeah, that would be, that'd be an amazing experience that, that I'm sure I'll chat to James, my agent about to try and, um, try and explore that opportunity if it comes around. Uh, but first and foremost, I've got to stay fit and, and do everything I can to, to bulletproof myself for next year. And again, things happen, things do happen. So, uh, you know, you don't want to touch wood. We'll we'll try and change the way things are going right now for me. But um, you know, like I said, you've got to take the the rough with the smooth, and and you know, I'll I'll deal with that as it comes. You know, I've had a chat with one of the specialists. Um, I can't remember how long ago it was. A few weeks ago, maybe maybe in a few months. Um, and he said, fast bowlers will often spend between twenty five and twenty percent of their career injured. So in terms of the time period of career, the there'll be a, a significant part of it that you will spend injured. So uh, it's always important to, to try and manage those things, obviously for my situation right now, especially. Um, but yeah, just excited about, about the potential opportunities that are coming up because cricket is, you know, expanding very rapidly and there's lots of opportunities worldwide now. And, um, you know, hopefully someone needs a seamer. Well, Sonny, honestly, mate, it goes without saying, but myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck heading into the future, mate. From what we've seen, we're incredibly impressed. And that isn't just me. It's also Matt and Kieran. I know they couldn't be here for today's podcast, but goodness me, sheer pace, speed, the electrifying (laughs) nature of the best art form in cricket. It's great to watch. And to be honest, having seen such a vast improvement in a very short space of time, is brilliant to see. So fingers crossed you can stay healthy, keep fit, maybe get some gigs over the winter and come back next season, make your championship yes, debut, right. make your T20 Blast debut and just kill it for Somerset County Cricket Club because that is exactly <laughs> what we want to see. But Sonny, that is essentially it for what has been a brilliant episode of the County Cricket Podcast. I mean, I'm not sure if you can tell, but I've absolutely loved it. It's been a brilliant <laughs> and, and very insightful I was episode. hoping so. It has been, honestly. Yeah, Aaron, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to you know, share my story and, and talk about stuff that I've got going on, what my aspirations are. Um, and, you know, people want to get to know me. Um, I'm happy to, happy to share. So, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate their message. Well, it's been my pleasure, mate, to be honest. And you're always welcome back here on the Cows Cricket Podcast. Very excited to see what the future mm-hmm. has in hold for a certain yeah, I'll Sunday. I'll do my best but... to do something worthwhile and then uh, <laughs> and then we'll see where we are after that. <laughs> as long as it's not against Warwickshire, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no promises. No promises. Well, yeah, that, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? Unfortunately, in cricket, we can't have it yeah. all our own way. But Sonny, just before we do wrap up the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses? Anything like that? Um, well, I mean, my, my Instagram is uh, sunnybaker.16. Um, I'm going to be trying to get a bit more active on social media moving forwards but um i just want to have a clear direction of where i want to take it first um because then before you start pumping out content you know you want to have an idea of what what that's going to look like and and how you want to come across and what 
you know, what aspects of me people find interesting. So what would I want to talk about? Uh, or what would I want to, what would I want to post about? So, um, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my Instagram. But other than that, not, not got any products in particular. I mean, we'll, we'll worry about brand deals later on down the line, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Humble as well, to put it lightly, Sonny. But, but yeah, folks, if you do want to go and follow Sonny on social media, we will, of course, leave the links to his Instagram in the podcast description below. So please go and follow him if you can. Let me tell you, he's got a very, very bright future in this game. So definitely worth a follow. But that is it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. So each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.